Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith, this great topic of theology of the body. This really has led to a lot of invigorating conversations. I think because uh, maybe for, for many of us, it's, it's new subject matter. And anytime you're engaging new subject matter and you, know, you, you see the truth within it, it, it's an exciting thing. And certainly, um, as this program is about planting seeds of truth, uh, I can't think of a more exciting topic than theology of the body, a study and a discipline that, of course, is rooted in sacred scripture. And again, as I noted last week, uh, Chris Seibert and Ivan Mora will, will be joining me every third week, so uh, they will be with me uh, next week. Uh, this week I am flying solo, so again, if you have any questions, uh, comments, thoughts, uh, observations, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can simply go to joeholcraft.org, hit the contact link there, and uh, send your email on the way. Again, the conversation from these programs is what has been most gratifying for me. To get to know new folks, it's, it's always fun, always exciting, especially for those of you out there who live abroad, who live outside the United States. It warms my heart to know that you are taking time out of your schedule uh, and that the subject matter that we discuss here on Seeds of Truth has found itself in your conversation. So, Again, the spirit of truth is a most exciting thing, huh? Is it not? Uh, to, to journey in faith is really, my dear friends, is, is to enter into an adventure. Uh, it really, really is an exciting adventure. I was given a retreat this past weekend, and the retreat center was across a, a lake from a Six Flags Great America Park. And I was looking out during one of our breaks, kind of reflecting into the subject matter that we've been talking about, and I saw all of these great roller coasters, you know, these bright red, orange, green roller coasters towering above the trees. And I thought, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. What a day, what an adventure to, to go to Six Flags. And I thought to myself, boy, to call yourself Catholic, to call yourself Christian, that is a lifelong adventure, is it not? I mean, it is a roller coaster at times, yes, but one that is full of, of life and of love and of joy. And so here we are uh, talking the stuff of theology of the body, which is a great adventure of itself. And so uh, let's jump into that adventure. Let's jump into that study. Uh, we are in the second chapter of Christopher West's The Love That Satisfies, okay? Again, this is a reflection on the first half of Benedict XVI's uh, encyclical, God is Love. In that first half, he was focusing in on eros and agape, okay, how they are mutually illuminating. Eros is that erotic human love. Of course, uh, agape is that divine sacrificial love and how one infuses life into the other. So, very important. Now, chapter one was all about encountering 
God who is love. God is love, 1 John 4, 16 reminds us, and so it is all about the encounter. We have said ad nauseum on this radio program that the new evangelization is all about the culture of encounter, coming into personal contact with uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, There's nothing more exciting to come into contact with the person of Jesus Christ. And so chapter two is all about uh, distinguishing true love from its counterfeits. Okay, we will speak uh, more concretely this evening uh, to what we mean by counterfeit. And we do so with Christopher West in light of Benedict's words. So going to the work itself here, page 33, Christopher West pulls his 12th excerpt from Benedict's work, and, it, and is, it comes from paragraph number four. It reads as follows. The Old Testament in no way rejected Eros as such. Rather, it declared war on a warped and destructive form of it, because this counterfeit divinization of Eros actually strips it of its dignity and dehumanizes it. Some powerful words there from Benedict XVI. And so here Christopher West, I think, offers up an important analogy to what real money looks like and what counterfeit money does. I think I kind of reflected upon this a little bit a few weeks ago. Suppose I offered you the choice between a real million-dollar bill and a counterfeit. Which one would you want? Okay, for you listeners out there, I know you're raising your hands and you're telling me, obviously, the real thing. The answer is obvious. But what if you were raised in a culture that incessantly bombarded you with propaganda, convincing you that the counterfeit was the real thing And the real thing was a counterfeit. Would you be confused? Huh? Would you be confused if you were told that the counterfeit was the real thing time and time and time again? This is the world in which we live. But as Christopher West notes, people can live with counterfeit love for only so long. It never satisfies. Indeed, we can say it wounds us terribly. The truth of the church's teaching on sex can be confirmed in the wounds of a culture that has rejected it. This is why a culture that sells us counterfeit love must also, in order to keep, we can say, and as Christopher West says, the illusion going, offer us all kinds of numbing agents from alcohol to drugs Uh, to to the distraction of so much noise, which seems to be increasing each and every passing day, to simply uh, the demon of busyness. I've talked about this before. We're so constant doing, we just forget what reality is all about. And all of these numbing agents, from alcohol to drugs to busyness and to noise, serve to keep us from listening to what our hearts are trying to to tell us. Perhaps we could say if we had the courage, if we had the fortitude, the fortissimo in the Latin, okay, strength, that inner strength, and the the word fortitude comes to Latin, fortissimo, inner strength, boldness, bravery, courage, coraggio, as John Paul II would say, do not be afraid. Perhaps if we had this courage, 
if we had this courage to remove the numbing agents from our lives and be alone before God with our pain, we would recognize that the counterfeit divinization of Eros, as Benedict XVI talks about it, actually strips it of its dignity and dehumanizes it. And we also might experience the consolation of a God who comes to us in our pain to heal and restore us. We are funny creatures, are we not? <laughs> we live in misery. We live in pain. We can see it for what it is, yet we don't do anything about it. If we were physically in pain, we would do anything and everything in our power to do what's necessary to stop that pain. And yet, spiritually, we don't have the eyes to see that we need God's mercy and that we are in pain at all. And in light of this, Pope Benedict says, as Christopher West highlights in uh, excerpt number 13, an intoxicated and undisciplined eros, then, is not an ascent in ecstasy towards the divine, but a fall, a degradation of man. Hmm? My dear friends, what we have to rekindle here is that God gave us eros. Here, Christopher West gives us an image or analogy of a rocket. Just as fuel sends the rocket into the stars and beyond, so does Eros shoot us forth into the grandeur and mystery of the divine love of God, that which is infinite mystery. If a rocket can capture the mystery of what we don't see when we travel in it, so then can we capture, if it is rooted in agape, how Eros can actually launch us into uh, the great mystery of the divine love of God. Yet, running with that analogy, what would happen if the engines of that rocket became inverted? Huh? No longer pointing us towards the stars, but only back upon ourselves. Launch that rocket, and the result is what? A massive and self-destructive implosion. Many Christians, having been burned by their own and others' inverted rocket engines, as Christopher West calls it, think the solution is to reject the rocket. As if sexual desire itself were the problem. As if the sexual urge was something that did not belong to God, was something that, that God did not intend. I mean, think how silly that is. My dear friends, think critically here with me. God created man. He created them male and female. Everything that we are in our anthropology, everything that we are, was intended by God and therefore was a gift from God to share in his mystery. This is the beauty of Eros because ultimately it orients us towards other. And in that orientation towards other, what we begin to understand is that love in of itself, as defined by Eros, is not enough. As you've heard me talk about before, it is only the raw material, that is the sexual urge, that is necessary for the more authentic love to develop. Eros points to agape, okay? The rocket is not the problem, huh? 
The problem is that the engines are pointed in the wrong direction. Authentic Christian teaching, my dear friends, never attacks erotic desire itself. Rather, it seeks by the grace of Christ's death and resurrection to redirect our rocket engines towards the stars. Although an undisciplined eros involves a fall, and again in the words of Christopher West, and really John Paul II, a degradation, when erotic passion is set into the whole of the spirit's deepest energies, John Paul II says it can also become a creative force. In this case, however, he goes on to say, it must undergo a radical transformation. Remember what the word radical means in the Latin? Root or to the root. So it is through the graces of redemption, Christ restores the gift of our sexuality at its roots so that Eros might once again become an incarnate expression of agape. Okay, this brings us back to that discussion on purity, that the grace we receive in baptism, okay, is a sharing and incorporation into the very life of the God who is whole, pure. So, in light of this, Christopher West turns to his next excerpt from Benedict's work in identifying what is the next thing we need to be thinking about. He says this, this is Benedict XVI, Evidently, Eros needs to be disciplined and purified if it is to provide not just fleeting pleasure, but a certain foretaste of the pinnacle of our existence, of that beatitude for which our whole being yearns. Now listen to what Benedict XVI is saying here. Pope Benedict observes here that erotic love is meant to offer a kind of foretaste or foreshadowing of the supreme bliss that awaits us in heaven, that beatitude for which our whole being yearns. This has been, been a kind of thread from day one when we started Theology of the Body. And that thread is, when two become one, that is a sharing in divine bliss. I mean, we should really pause for a moment to let this sink in, what we are saying. It is no wonder that we are all so interested in sex because the joy of the marital embrace that simultaneous physical and spiritual sensual and sacred moment when all is given in a sweet ecstatic surrender of self to the other when two solitudes commune and surrendered their mingled life forces to the will of the creator oh man this great mystery is meant to be a sign a glimmer of the ultimate purpose and reality of our existence. That's at the heart of John Paul II's theology of the body. You've heard me talk about God's love equaling joy, a joy that is blissful, ecstatic, okay? Oh, man, this is theology of the body. When two solitudes commune, what happens? We share in that deep mystery. Woo. Think about that. It's interesting. We just throw around loosely the word orgasm and we don't really think about it, think twice about it. We think it's something that belongs in a, you know, in a triple X video. 
No. You know that word actually means in its roots something that belongs to God? Think about that. Oh my goodness. Yes. Something that belongs to God. Why? What does John Paul II want us to see? Well, he wants us to see that that sweet, ecstatic surrender of self to the other was stamped into the very fabric of who we are, of who we are in our maleness and femaleness. Now, as Benedict observes, in order to experience the union of the sexes in this way, what do we need to be present to, my dear friends? Agape. Eros needs to be disciplined and purified. Without such discipline, without such purification, all Eros can offer, as Christopher West notes, is fleeting pleasure. When mere pleasure is the goal, other people become the means. And when other people become the means, we have a problem. We end up using people rather than loving them. In fact, what we often call love and the relationship of the sexes, when you look at it a little bit closer, amounts to little more than mutual using for pleasure. It amounts to little more than the indulgence of lust. And we can lust for more than just the physical gratification. Huh? Huh? Let's think about this. We can use another to boost our image, to gain financial stability, or for any number of reasons. We talked about this in our discussion on modesty. We talked about this in our discussion on what it means to use. You see, the person who is the object of love soon realizes the sentiment of the other. <laughs> Christopher West says this, You don't need me. You don't love me. You're just looking for an opportunity to gratif gratify yourself. You can get that from any number of people, or from your own fantasies, for that matter. What am I to you but an object for your pleasure? And what might become of me if you find someone who promises you more pleasure than I do? My dear friends, far, far removed from feeling loved as an unrepeatable and irreplaceable person, whoever is the object of lust eventually realizes that he or she is being treated as a replaceable commodity, no longer irreplaceable. If we look upon the opposite sex as something that is ultimately replaceable, then we fail to see the great truth that we are all created in the image and likeness of God. And in that truth, we begin to discover the concreteness and particularity of each and every person. That each and every person is irreplaceable. This is why pornography is so wrong in a marriage. We have replaced the wonder and the beauty of the consummative act with what? Our selfish, intoxicated appetites. We give in to eros as something that doesn't give uh, glory to God, but something that is intended for our own mere selfish appetites. And ultimately, this sabotages our marriages. Because if the consummative act, if the conjugal embrace is not what it was intended to be in our marriages, then ultimately, well, what have we already talked about? That implosion will lead to chaos and disorder in a home.
You know, there are a lot of marriages today that suffer from this implosion. And ultimately, by their own testimonies, it is what has led to the chaos and disorder. Essentially speaking, we're no longer engaged in the wonder of what Eros can offer as we enter into that conjugal act, as we enter into that consummative embrace, because ultimately we have removed everything that love stands for. And again, that always starts with a discussion on sacrifice. Sekum fitze, to make holy. You know the word marriage in the Hebrew tradesh means to be set apart. To be set apart does not holiness mean to be set apart. It's about time that we start getting a hold of ourselves and call upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to set us free in the pure cloth of Christ. So, when Eros is lived in that way which looks upon love as something that is equal to lust, it is far from being a foretaste of the beatitude for which our whole being yearns. It becomes in, instead a bitter taste of loneliness, alienation, pain, and despair. What does Benedict XVI go on to say in paragraph 5? He says, Love promises infinity, eternity, a reality far greater and totally other than our everyday existence. Yet we have also seen that the way to attain this goal is not simply by submitting to instinct. Purification and growth and maturity are called for, and these also pass through the path of renunciation. Far from rejecting or poisoning eros, they heal it and restore its true grandeur. Mm. On the heels of that excerpt from Benedict, Christopher West offers for us a beautiful insight. He says, you know, I once heard it said that to love someone is to tell that person that he or she will love forever. Now, if, if you think about this, if God is love, then love like God himself is what? Something eternal, infinite. Hence, if we give someone authentic love, and it's in a sense, what are we doing? We're giving that person eternity. And if that person receives it, takes it in, and makes a permanent home for it, for love, in his or her heart, then that person will live forever. It's a beautiful reflection that Christopher West offers up. Um, now, as Pope Benedict rightly observes, authentic love is very different than from submitting to instinct, huh? I mean, if we tend to experience sexual desire as an instinct, a need that imposes itself on us, demanding an outlet, we must recognize that love demands mastery of that instinct. And only to the degree that a man and woman are masters of themselves are they ultimately then capable of making a true gift of themselves. And I love this line from Christopher West. When sexual instinct imposes itself upon us, it can lead to acquiescence, that is, giving into it, or it can lead to the act from our essence. And properly defining it, <laughs> that essence is freedom. So a person controlled by sexual instinct, we can say then what? Is not free. He or she is in chains. Now this brings us to uh, the Catechism. You know, if you were to go to paragraph uh, 2342, what do we read? A paragraph about self-mastery. 
Self-mastery is a long and exacting work, the Catechism says. One can never consider it acquired once and for all. It presupposes renewed effort at all stages of life. That's a beautiful definition. Now this, and again, this brings in uh, the cardinal virtue of temperance. Okay, we define temperance as balance, moderation, huh? all things in balance. But it's much more than that. In its interior life, it's about self-mastery. And defined properly, we can say self-mastery or the cardinal virtue of temperance presupposes renewed effort at all stages of life. And so, what does that mean? It demands renunciation of lust, the more warped and destructive form of eros. However, Christian renunciation, my dear friends, does not involve uh, the annihilation or the obliteration of anything authentically human. Christian renunciation involves a certain kind of death, but always a view to resurrection. It's a great truth that comes to us from our church fathers that Christopher West here talks about. So then what are we made to see? That lust must die so that eros can be resurrected to its truest grandeur, to its original purpose, its original meaning. Now, we use the word authentic, authentic, you know, the Greek for authentic, authentikos, the original meaning and purpose of something, okay? If our uh, sexuality is going to rediscover its authentic meaning, then we need to die to this lust. And when we do, we are also made to see that, you know, eros loses nothing of its essence with the death of lust. Rather, it is liberated from what distorts it so that it might become what it truly is, a human way of expressing divine love. Hmm. If we fail to set our eyes on this resurrection or this restoration of Eros, we can conceive of renunciation only as Nietzsche did, where Nietzsche talks about uh, this poisoning of Eros as a great big no that stifles the natural spontaneity of the sexual relationship. Again, Nietzsche simply offers for us, my friends, a superficial perspective. The discipline required in living eros as a virtue, that is love, rather than as a vice, that is lust, does not stifle or harm the sexual relationship. Rather, it enlarges it. It enriches it, it liberates it, it uh, expands it and makes it what it was intended to be, something sublime, something beautiful. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.